Hi, everybody, and welcome to Open. We, uh, as always, appreciate you watching and soon to be listening as we're working on putting a podcast together of just audio so you can listen to us on the go uh, through iTunes. Uh, more information to come on that. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve, as usual. Uh, coming all the way out from California. It's nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Greg, uh, coming from the, the East Coast, where it's a lot darker right now. And uh, as always, just like Steve, happy to be here, happy to be having these conversations, and happy to be able to share them with you. So moving uh, to our first of three topics tonight is slavery in the NFL. So for those of you who probably read open, if you're watching this, you've probably read at least one or two of our blogs, you'll note that we pick on the NFL quite a bit because they're an easy target. Um, it's funny because they are often called the no-fun league, and you can, you can extrapolate that in many ways. In this case, we're talking about ways in which they are uh, socially just or in, which, in ways that their employees or their players um, use various terminologies. So Brandon Spikes, who was a player for the New England Patriots, who are my favorite team, recently was let go and signed by a rival team. He went about this in not necessarily the classiest of ways, and that's not me being a homer, but he went on to say, you know, looking forward to playing against the Patriots uh, and handing them two losses, which I love. I think that's a great competitive fire. And then he went on to say that his four years with the Patriots were quote, four years of slavery, and this was on his verified Twitter account. Um, shoot back about three years ago, Adrian Peterson, during the NFL strike, went on to say basically that the NFL was modern-day slavery. And he has a quote that says, and give me just a second, I'll bring it up for you. He says, quote, it's modern-day slavery, you know, People kind of laugh at that, but there are people working at regular jobs who get treated the same way, too. With all the money, the owners are trying to get a different percentage and bring in more money. I understand that. These are business-minded people. Of course, this is what they're going to want to do. I understand that. It's how they got to where they are now. But as players, we have to stand our ground and say, hey, without us, there's no football. So looking at both Spikes and Peterson, their comments, they've gone ahead and said that Various conditions here in the NFL um, remind them of slavery. And so that's something we want to talk about to get today is the relevancy, I suppose, of what they're saying and whether or not it's, it's appropriate to use the terminology and just generally our, our thoughts as always. So I've spoken enough. I've kind of set it up. Steve, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and yeah. start? Yeah, I, I'll take it from here. Uh, so with that... I think it's, you know, he brings up a good point. I believe it might have been Adrian Peterson who was talking about the money aspect. Um, he brings up a good point because when we think about NFL players or athletes in general, we talk about, oh, but they're getting paid millions of dollars a year to throw a football or to catch a football or to run, jump, and skip down the field. And it's definitely that aspect of it, whether it be out of jealousy or whatever it is, especially as an educator. And it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, I'm supposed to feel bad for you. But at the end of the day, you know, these are people and the way that they're treated, they're basically treated as animals at the zoo. You know, when that, when that coach, when that owner says, jump, run, you know, 
I need you to jump. The athlete is expected to say how high. The athlete doesn't get to question anything. The athlete doesn't get to um, say, oh, coach, I'm hurt. Something feels like, hey, you know, I probably don't feel like I can run today. Oh, I'm sick, this, this, that. Let's take it back to Michael Jordan. He had to play a, a playoff basketball game with the flu. Um, you know, and for him, everybody sort of highlighted it as this amazing feat of athleticness, which it is. I won't take that away. But at the end, what what does that say about sports? And you know, we're talking about the NBA in that case. But what does it say about sports in general when a player is sick as a dog and is throwing up on the sideline, and they're still expected to go out there and perform at their best? Um, it's it it is slavery in that sense, and it's one of those things where. You know, more money doesn't necessarily equal more freedom because when you go back to it, these people, players in it, I think it's like 75% of people who play in the NFL three years after they retired, they have no money. So they don't teach them how to manage their money. They don't teach them how to, um, they don't educate them in terms of how to be responsible with what it is that they have. They literally say, here's a bunch of money. Now go out there and do exactly as I say. And if you don't do exactly what I want you to do, not even that, if you don't perform at the level I don't want you to, or I want you to, then you're kicked off the team, then you lose all those rights and privilege. If you're not willing to sacrifice yourself for the team, then you know you get cut and you lose all of those things. So then the money and all of that doesn't end up becoming you know, a, a way for players to dig themselves out as so much as it becomes um, a leash of sorts, you know, a, a chain to hold, to hold them down and tell them, look, if you don't act, think, and, and, and feel a certain way, um, and you don't allow me to control every aspect of who you are, then you don't, you know, you don't get the money or you don't get to, you know, live and things like that. So I mean, I see it from that point of view, you know, as slavery, as that, you know, the slave master, aka the owners of the team, telling the slave, you're gonna get out there and you're gonna work and you're gonna make me a whole bunch of money and I'm not gonna pay you nearly as much as what I'm gonna make, but you know, because I am giving you some food and a place to sleep, you know, now you're forced to, um, you're forced to do everything that I say with, without question. So I definitely see those parallels between, you know, um, you know, athletes, and especially the athletes who come from lower-income neighborhoods, and sort of that that you know parallel that that metaphor as being slaves. I I think those are all good points. Um, I think a couple of things to look at too are both of these players. Uh, well, actually, let me let me step back a minute. Adrian Peterson's comments took place during a labor strike in which players wanted more money. Um, and and so did the owners. I mean, you can you can take a look at uh at the the dichotomy there of all the owners in the NFL are are definitely white. Um, there is not a single black majority owner in the NFL right now. And you can uh, you can extrapolate that down and say, listen, like we have thirty owners, they're all white. They basically hand off the duties of control to GMs and managers, or I'm sorry, coaches, and the majority of them are all white. It wasn't until, I believe, 2006 when an African-American coach actually won the Super Bowl, and that was uh, Tony Dungy with the Colts. Um, and as a Patriots fan, I, I was happy to see Tony Dungy win, but not Peyton Manning. So um, just throwing in a little bit of my football flair there. But um, looking at both these players, they are African-American, or as, as I perceive them to be, and, you know, so I kind of see that as I'm kind of playing, throwing this out there a little bit to kind of to garner some sympathy. And I realize that that's probably my, my point of view as a white man. Um, but it wasn't until I read a response, which I'll read to you right now, from Ryan Grant, who also, from what I perceive, identifies as an African-American. 
And he kind of brings up a point that I see, um, which is, and I'll read it to you now, he says, quote, I have to totally disagree with Adrian Peterson's comparison to the situation being modern-day slavery. False. There is unfortunately actually still slavery in our world. Literal modern-day slavery. Sure. That was a very misinformed statement, but I understand what point he was trying to make. I just feel like he should have been advised a little differently. And so that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from it, uh, or, or coming from with this point is, I see what they're saying. I mean, and, and I agree with you entirely, Steve. They're being used and manipulated for the betterment of the owner, again, who is a, a, a white man in every single case. Um, and, you know, if that's, you know, and, and you look at that, but if they're, if they're hurt, they're insured, um, you know, they're taken care of by the team, they're given great, um, you know, all, all sorts of benefits. There's great health care. I mean, a lot of these players, if they tear an ACL like Adrian Peterson did years ago, they're back the next season, um, which uh, a person like myself who um, were to do the same thing, probably it'd take me a lot longer, and I definitely wouldn't almost break Eric Dickerson's rushing record, that's for sure. Right. But I can't I can't run anyway. But <laughs> looking at some of these points, um, I, I just feel as though slavery is the wrong word um, simply because of the racial aspect of it, because there are white players in the NFL, though they're generally kickers and quarterbacks, um, and that's sad but true. Um, but, you know, looking at it, I, I feel like that's a racially charged... Um, statement for what I don't believe is currently an overtly racially charged issue. Hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. That That is a really good point, and we take into account slavery is still happening, and that, you know, puts it in a completely different context. Um, and I think it's easy, you know, just like I did just now, to get caught up inside that passion of it, and but we take into account you're still getting paid a lot. You know what I mean? There's still there's still that aspect to it. Um, the one thing I will say, and I, I'm not I'm I'm not going to disagree with your point. <laughs> but the one thing I will say is when you talk about um, you talk about sort of the mindset the NFL has. There was a player who came out of Florida University. His name is Myron Roll, um, and he came out. He was a um, I think he was a free safety. He was really he was a free safety or corner center. Really, really smart dude. Um, ended up with a, a special scholarship. He actually turned down being a first-round draft pick in the NFL to go to grad school on, on a full-ride scholarship. Um, and what the NFL did was instead of they – he ended up going to grad school, still stayed in really good shape and everything, came back to play in the NFL, but his stock lowered just because they felt like he wasn't as dedicated to his team because he, he decided to focus on his, his – um, you know, his academics rather than his athletics. And so with that, when it comes to, you know, that mentality of, well, it's like, then, you know, once again, it's we want you, we want these athletes to be dumb and to be, you know, more dedicated to bettering the team than to bettering themselves. Um, once again, definitely not the same slavery. Uh, but you can definitely, you know, it's one of those things that I, I get where I get where these athletes are coming from in that, you know, the NFL isn't treating them fair. And, and it's one of those things where the NFL is so easy to pick on. Um, once again, going back to that piece, that is not slavery, though. <laughs> it's one of those things I'm trying to come across as, like, I don't want to defend, you know, that the NFL is slavery and that. But it's one of those things where, like, I, I definitely see the parallels between the two without being disrespectful or without, you know, ignoring the fact that modern-day slavery does go on 
and that it's 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 not the same. You know what I mean? As as being you know a sex slave or anything like that. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to walk that line without being disrespectful, which is probably you know not doing the best part at it. But it's one of those things where I definitely get where they're coming from. Um, especially when it seems like the NFL is overworking these players and definitely not playing them um, an equal share in what they're doing. But at the same time, you know, um, part of me is like, well, you'll still you'll you'll make a kicker or somebody who sits on the bench is on the Packers squad will make more money than you know I'll see for a long time. So then there's that piece of it too. Well, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing I could say that would uh, that I would disagree with that. I think. Um, I had a point and I and I lost it when you, when you were speaking. Oh, I, I do remember. Um, I don't know that I would call it slavery, but I definitely think these players are owned to an extent. Uh, right. You know, and I, I think you had made that point, but I just kind of wanted to make it more blatant. Right. Uh, right. You know, because they do, um, they are restricted from what they can do and what they can't do, and and you know, I, I made a joke at the beginning that it's called a no fun league, but if you look at when they score, you know, they can't do pretty much anything anymore to celebrate. Right. We used right. to have players when we were younger who would pull a Sharpie out of their sock and sign the ball or <laughs> the pylon to pretend they're golfing. Right. And personally, I like that. That adds a showmanship. But thinking about it, too, I mean, they, for instance, they just banned this year um, being able to use the goalpost as, you know, to dunk the ball. Right. Um, there are players who have been doing that since before I started watching football. And now they've taken that away. And there are some logical reasons behind it, but at the same time, I look at it like this. You know, you have players um, who, at, they're at the very best, you know, a Jimmy Graham who's going to score 16 touchdowns. That's 16 times out of 70, 80, 90 times he catches the ball that he's going to, to score. I mean, on the biggest stage... In the country, some would argue the world, but I disagree with that notion. <laughs> uh, mostly Americans would say that. Right. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about that too, but um, you know, it, and he he could be dunking the ball, or he could be taking a hit to the knee that ruins his career. Um, so that's a side point. That's something that's irritated me for a while. So I'm glad I get to say that, and people will have to listen to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things going back to that is the reason why Brandon uh, Spikes felt like he was a slave is because um, as a Patriots fan we know it well and some people have heard about it outside of, of the fan base but there's what we call the Patriot way and it's kind of a cult you know Bill Belichick is often called the hoodie he, uh, he looks kind of you know well foreboding in that hoodie, but yeah, he yeah. has a very strict policy uh, about him. You know, People only tow the company line. They must say what he wants them to say. Um, when it comes to injuries, he toys with the, um, the injury list, and he doesn't allow his players to say anything about how they feel. When it comes to social media, they're not allowed to tweet anything um, or Facebook anything that's inappropriate. They're not allowed to Facebook anything that during the games, but that's actually a league rule now. Um, and so you cannot express yourself whatsoever. Um, you can only say what Bill Belichick tells you to say. And so that's part of the reason why he said that. 
you know, and uh, there's there's severe penalties for this. Um, a couple of years ago, Wes Welker, who now plays for the Denver Broncos, made some kind of tongue-in-cheek comments about Rex Ryan, the head coach for the Jets, uh, who supposedly that week there was an article that came out about him having a foot fetish, and Wes Welker made 12 comments in his press conference that were all kind of subtle about feet, and uh, Bill Belichick suspended him, and that cost him money and so on. So um, there's definitely an exa- a good example of how uh, players are, are kind of made to toe the company line, made to be what the owners and the coaches feel. And so I just wanted to give that as an example. Right. Um, I mean, there's definitely that aspect too. But then, I mean, of course, and, and I perceive Wes Walker to be white, but there's also that when you're talking about racism in sports and sort of racism in, in the rules. You know, we talk about the no celebration rule and things like that. Typically the celebrations are attributed to, to black players. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, the NFL's way to sort of say, you know, you're not allowed to express yourself. You're not exact, you know, you're not allowed to pull a pin out of your, you know, your sock and sign a ball anymore. You're not allowed to slam dunk the, the football over the goalpost. Um, you know, all these things are mainly see by black players. And so it's one of those things that, you know, I always question the integrity of the rules as, are these rules to, to uphold the value and the integrity of the game? Are these uh, rules made to make, Basically, the owners and you know the coaches who are mostly white feel comfortable or feel like um, you know feel like they don't have to you know address those questions of race or address any of these things. You know, we talk about you know the NBA and fashion issues, and um, you know for a while they weren't allowed to slam dunk the ball in the NBA and things like that. And it's it's one of those things is the rules being racist, basically for lack of a better word. Uh, the rules being racist and meant to keep the game, quote-unquote, you know, when they say keep the game, you know, fair, or keep the game, you know, um, focused on the athletics and blah, 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 is it, is it really that, or just the game, keep the game from making white people uncomfortable, Yeah. so. Fair equals white. Right. That's true. <laughs> keeping the game, keeping it white. Right. Um, That's so, actually, <laughs> pretty much. So, actually, I think this... Well, we can sort of jump into our second topic if you're okay with that. Um, uh, yeah. All right. So in our second topic, we actually we're, we're still going to stick with sports, but some are going to move into college sports. And so with that, we have an athlete from the University of Connecticut who actually just won the uh, both the men and the women's basketball team won the national tournament. Um, but uh, a player from the men's team talked about how you know they they won this championship and all that, but that night he had to go to bed hungry. And, and sort of, you know, you went on this big stage and you win millions of dollars for the university, but, you know, here we go, going a bit hungry. So if you want to play that clip really quickly. Absolutely. It's, uh, and the player's name is Shabazz Napier uh, from the University of Connecticut. So here's the clip. I mean, I mean it's kind of great. You know, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, to some to certain points, you know, we are, as student athletes, uh, you know, get utilized for what we do so well. And uh, we, we definitely are. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely blessed to get a scholarship to our universities. Um, but at the end of the day, that's, that doesn't cover everything. Uh, we do have hungry nights that we don't have enough money to get food in. Uh, sometimes, you know, needed money is you know money is needed. Um, so, you know, I, but I, I don't think you know you should stretch it out to hundreds of thousand dollars for players. You know, that's not you know a lot of times guys don't know how to handle themselves for money. So, uh, but I, I think you know Northwestern has an idea and. Um, 
we'll see, what, see where it goes. Do you feel like an employee? Um, you know, I just feel like a, a, a student athlete. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like I said, there's hungry nights where I don't, I'm not able to eat. And uh, I, I still got to play up to my, you know, capabilities. And sometimes it's that way. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't see myself as so much of an employee, but... You know, when you, when you see a uh, jersey getting sell, you may not have the last name on it, but when you see the jersey getting sell, things like that, you know, to some some credit, you feel like you you um, you need you feel like you want some, some something in return, and uh, sometimes it feels that way. But like I said, I don't I don't think you, you know student athletes should get a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I, I, like I said, there's a there are hungry nights that are, that I go to bed and uh, I'm starving. So um, something you know something can change, something should change, but if it doesn't. It, at the end of the day, we've been doing this for so long, so. So there you have it. Right. So with that, you know, this is now this situation is much different from the NFL situation because we know the players in the NFL well taken care of. Like you mentioned, they have insurance in case they get hurt. We know that they're eating well. But these players in college is a much different story. They're expected to play, you know, if not as many, if not you know, the same amount of game as these professional players, um, and they're given you know, scholarships and things like that, and he said he was grateful for a scholarship. But then he goes on to talk about, you know, I, I have to go to bed hungry some nights. And it's actually a violation of the NCAA rules if the coach buys players for his food, or buy, buys food for his players, um, which is, you know, I can go in all day about the NCAA and, and how they take advantage of their players, and, you know, they're selling video games and they're selling jerseys and all these different things, but then the players don't get to see a dime of that money. And, in fact, it's against the rules for a player to see a dime or to, to make any money when the university and the NCAA is, is benefiting so much from the from these athletes. Um, so basically, I just want to get your thoughts on that, and then sort of we'll go back and forth as we usually do. That we do. So my thoughts on this, um, you know, I, 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 I'm on board with what he's saying, you know, and, and I thought he made some great points, you know. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for for college players is outrageous. Um, you know, their their main priority is to get an education. But let's be honest. I mean, we've both worked at at large Division one schools, and those students rarely spend a lot of time in the classroom. Um, they spend a lot more time tutoring, and and when you're at a D one school, it's more about the numbers that you put up on the scoreboard and less about the letter grades that you put up in a classroom. Um, but he, he made a very good point, you know, there's people out there, I mean, if somebody handed me hundreds of thousands of dollars right now to do my job, um, first off, you wouldn't see me for a few weeks because I'd be spending cash. <laughs> um, but he's right, some people can't handle their money, and, and I'm definitely one of them in that case. Um, I, I, I don't even know if I've seen $100,000 in my career yet. No, I'm sure I have, but um, I, I saw it and I watched it go. But... <laughs> He made, he makes a very good point there. Um, going back to something you said about um, NCAA violations, you know, oftentimes players like Reggie Bush, who is an NFL player, great example, he has been in trouble for being for violating NCAA violations. Cam Newton was also brought uh, under the limelight. Football is a very good. Um, example of, of NCAA violations because it happens so frequently there. But what often happens is the program takes a big hit. 
and so scholarships are lost, which means other students can't come. But even when the, the players leave, so Reggie Bush, he was sanctioned and fined after he left the NCAA. So he, he had fines and, and stuff that he had to pay once he was in the NFL, which, you know, you're, you're punishing somebody for trying to eat. Um, I remember, and, and you made this point as well, I remember, I think it was a year or two ago, there was an NCAA coach who was busted on NCAA violations for buying tacos for his teammate, uh, for his team, uh, because they were hungry. And so he went to Taco Bell, spent twenty, thirty dollars on on tacos, and gave them to his players. And that came out, and he got busted on uh, NCAA violations. Now I believe it was just a slap on the wrist, but still, the fact that that's a penalty when we should be looking out for these players, you know, best interests. I mean. Right. They're generally traditionally college-aged, 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, some of them may have experience living on their own, but for the most part, they generally don't. And I mean, it's one of those things like even stepping away from them as athletes and talking about them as college students. You know, I would, it, you know, we both we both supervise student staff as, as part of our housing programs and you know, resident assistants, resident advisors. Um, and and it's it's a lot of the same in that they're expected to work a lot of hours and they're expected to you know to perform up to a certain level and and we expect them to work a, a lot of extra but they're still expected to get the school work done and they're still expected to you know take care of themselves and you know I could imagine those rules if we weren't allowed if those same rules were imposed on RRAs in terms of not being able to buy them food and not being able to uh, you know and, and you know make sure that they were were healthy. Um, and we're not even talking about the athletic component that goes in, you know, at least the athletic piece. We're just talking about, you know, um, students who are expected to, you know, go to class and sort of manage a residence off. We weren't able to make sure that they got enough to eat and things like that. That would be ridiculous. And I couldn't imagine doing my staff. And I also couldn't imagine asking them to, to stay on. Now, of course, they don't get the full-ride scholarships and things that the athletes do. But at the same time, it's, it's how are we taking care of our college students? And how are we expecting them to be successful? If we're not even allowing them to eat, not even that we can't feed them, but we're not allowing them, we're not allowing the student who just won a national championship to, to go to bed with a full stomach because we're afraid that that might violate the rules of some sort of blah, blah, blah. So that, that's what's most upsetting to me is, is, is how are we taking care of our players as college students um, and who's, who's benefiting from that. You know, the, the NCAA is benefiting, the university is benefiting, but you know the the student is not, and how is the student supposed to? If the student isn't getting enough to eat, and they're be forced to run around and 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 be athletic and, and go to practice every day and spend way more time in practice than they are in class, how do we expect that student to be successful? One during college, two in their classes, and three after college. Say that student doesn't make it to the NBA, what is it? And and they've been so focused on basketball or, or football or whatever it is the whole time. How are we expecting that student to to be able to make a living for themselves after college? Because you know there aren't that many spots for uh, professional athletes, and you know they usually take the best of the best of the best. So for everyone else who's on that same schedule, who's having to uh, put everything out there in the hopes that maybe this might pay off, when it doesn't pay off, how are we setting those students up for success? Absolutely, and you said you know making sure they're healthy. Taco Bell is not healthy, and nor do I endorse it as a healthy dining option. <laughs> <laughs> Neither to stop ramen, but you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> There's enough sodium in there to preserve you for life. <laughs> um, no, I absolutely agree. And 
you know, one thing to uh, comparing it to to resident assistants, um, college athletes are basically a, a roving circus. You know, um, we we have them compete with um, schools that are quite far from from our own. You know, and the better the school you play, the more money the school that you are makes. Um, the higher the ratings, the more money both schools make. The higher the ratings, more money NCAA makes. Um, but who's the loser here? And, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the, it's the student um, athlete. And you know, I think there's what a hundred and there's a hundred plus schools that are um, Division One NCAA. That is, I, I believe, it's something like five college schools, Division One college schools, to every one NBA team. So you're looking at roughly 25 starting players for five spots, and that's if every year the NBA completely gutted out and you had an empty team. So you're probably looking at, I mean, what? There's, I don't even remember how many rounds there are in the NFL draft. You're not even you're. You're hardly even scraping the surface when it comes to the to the players that play. So that's that's a great point too. We're not we're not educating them in the ways we need to. But going back to my point, like we basically run them on the road. We we take them away from their classrooms. We take them away from their own beds. We take them away from their their dining halls, which are probably the only places they're guaranteed a meal. Mm -hmm. And we say, do this for us. And We'll do what we can down the road once you've graduated, or and nine times out of ten they don't graduate. So you see a lot of them go over to Europe and play basketball, or go down south and play basketball because it's all they know. And being a basketball player, or being a football player, or a baseball player, suddenly becomes all they can be because it's all they know. Um, because the way the policies and the rules work um, don't allow them to do anything else. Right. I mean, it's just one of those things. I think, you know, as, as educators, you know, it's one of those things. The the interesting part is that athletics almost have, you know, when we talk about college culture and sort of being excited about college, you know, sports figures into that. But the reality, what it comes down to is, is athletics is not a pivotal part of, of what it means to go to college. You know, it's, it's one of those things. You're there to get an education. You're there to get a degree. And move on, and hopefully be more successful um, in life, and, and you know, elevate and things like that. But sports, and especially in college, is sort of, you know, taking you know, take attention away from the fact that you know that that's not supposed to be the main spotlight. That's not supposed to be the limelight. Uh, and it's one of those things where you know, if you completely did away with the educational aspect of college, sports would go away. But if you completely did away with college sports, you know, the college is still going to be there doing what it needs to do. Um, and, and I think people people forget that, and you know, it's one of those things that you know people get confused that oh, you know, the sports have to be there. We need to spend all this money on sports to the point where the head coach of the football team is making more than the university president, even though the president supervises the athletic coach. And then that's when you get into Penn State situations where nobody's doing what they're supposed to because the sport, you know, the the football team and the the athletic director and the head coach of the football team is so much pool that the president is in. The president has to think twice before firing anybody on the sports team, even though the sports people on the sports team are completely in the wrong. So, you know, I think it's that mindset piece too. That you know, when we talk about athletics, especially college athletics, and how are we setting players up for success, you know, a lot of a lot of us forget in the first place that the sports 
aren't supposed to be that main aspect. You know, it can be being involved or, or whatever it is, but it's not supposed to be uh, that athletic piece. And when it gets to the point where athletes can win a championship and then go home and, and go, go to bed hungry or, uh, you know, they're, they're in trouble if, you know, yeah, I was reading another, another NCAA rule is if athletes get help, athletes have to be tutored in person. If they get emailed notes, that's a violation. And I, I forgot who it was, but somebody, I was watching a 30 for 30 thing, and the athlete emailed uh, a tutor, and the tutor emailed the athlete and literally said, okay, change around your first sentence, switch up these paragraphs, and you'll have a good paper. And was, you know, that was an NCAA violation. So it's the point where now the athlete doesn't even get to, you know, when the athlete is asking for help in classes, the athlete has to go out of the way, out of, out of the way from an already busy schedule to meet with that person face-to-face. They can't even get email notes. Or that's, you know, that's a violation. So it's, the rules are now hindering this person from being successful in college. So that, that to me, I mean, I, it's, it's frustrating as somebody who works in education and, as, and, you know, who understands the value of a good education, who's benefited from a good education. Um, it, it's frustrating to see that take the place, and the, you know that, that making money and taking advantage of college athletes take the place of making sure that they get a good education that they're set up for success in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it takes the student out of student athlete. Completely yeah. agree. Um, another thing, since we're we're on this topic, is talking about. Um, I believe it's Northwestern mm-hmm. who has gone out of their way to to actually create or they're in the process of trying to create a college student union um, to kind of look out for their best interests. Um, personally, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, I, I don't necessarily identify as somebody who's pro-union or anti-union, but in this case, I feel like having somebody who or having a group that's looking out for the best interests of players is important. However, I think looking at that, it's also going to cut out um, the players, the, the the athletic, I'm sorry, not the athletic, the academic um, necessities too. They're not going to fight to get email notes from tutors. You know, they're, they're going to fight to get a paycheck. Um, and so if it can be pushed into a way that will assist um, their academics, I think that's that helps, um, but I definitely think that they deserve some sort of pay as well, and um, I, I think this union is a great idea. So, what uh, what do you think? Oh, I mean, it's 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 sad that you know the college is supposed to be that advocate for students. You know what I mean? Like, part of the reason you 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 know you have student affairs administrators and, and the coach and sort of the whole university is supposed to be that advocate, and it's sad when students have to go find an advocate to help them you know, stand up against their advocate. Like that that to me means the university or you know, not you know, I'm gonna point out Northwestern, but not just Northwestern. They failed in their mission. You know, their mission is student success or student retention, graduation, whatever their mission statement is saying, the fact that your students have to form a union and not like a student union, but get an actual union together to advocate for them means you failed as an institution. Um, with that I'm I'm all for it. I say go ahead. If you're if you're being worked that hard, and you're not seeing any compensation, and yes, you're getting scholarship, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going a bit hungry and things like that, I'm all for it. I say go for it, you know, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, you've got to, you've got to do what it takes to make it, and if that's what it takes to to make it in terms of just being able to live uh, comfortably, 
you know, then go ahead and do that. You know, I don't. I, I agree with the the guy in the basketball or in the, the basketball player in the interview. I think his name is Shabazz. Yeah. Um, talked about. Um, no, they're not employees. Like, I mean, I, I get that aspect of it. They're they're not employees, but at the same time, is it's it's that compensation. If you expect me to, you know, practice so many hours a week and go to games and perform and 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 uh, all these different things, then you know there there should be that compensation there. And if they're not going to fight for it, I think it's that's also. I mean, I see it in the same way that you know we talked about. Ber- you know, Berkeley in the '60s when they got together and they 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 marched and they said, nope, we don't like this. You know, um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily have one one opinion or another about what they marched about, but the fact that they decided to stand up for something, I think that you know that that shows the players. You know, at least have taken a step beyond. You know, they're they're just not going to accept the the circumstances. They're going to stand up for themselves and and say this is what we need to have happen. Um, and then I looked at that, and I think the university is trying to appeal that decision and things like that. You know, I really question it. Being some being an employee of a university, you know, uh, questioning the intentions of the university in terms of I get that you're looking out for your wallets because that that's one aspect. You know, the university at the end of the day is still a business. But it's, you know, how are you supporting your mission and how are you supporting your students when your students come to you saying, we need help, we need this, we need that, we need something more than what we're getting right now. And the institution is saying, no, uh, shut up and get back to work. You know, what, what does that say about the institution, or at least the people that run the institution? Um, you know, are we, are we out really trying to help these students or are we out to protect our own interests and, and, you know, uh, make sure that our business is still profitable at the end of the day? Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, Shabazz he he made another good state uh, statement. He talked about jerseys. You know, he said, "Listen, um, you know, our names aren't on the back, um, but you know, it's our numbers." And let's be honest, um, you can think about great colleges, and nine times out of ten, you're gonna think about the players that played for that college. I mean, I I love Syracuse University. And part of that is because when I was younger, I got to see Donovan McNabb play for play football for them. Um, you know, UNC. I'm a huge fan, but I can name Michael Jordan, for instance, played for UNC. Dean Smith was a coach. Um, Vince Carter, Rashid Wallace. I, I could go on and on. Um, you know, and and their names aren't on the back of these jerseys because recently they've been kind of they've been pulled out. But um, the numbers are theirs. You know, while they wear them and their time there, their numbers are there, but it's the name on the front that generally gets the money. And, uh, you know, I think that that's definitely unfair, and I think unionizing is definitely a great way to, to kind of look out for those interests. And, you know, yeah, if you get money, you can spend it on a lot of things, but um, if you're not spending it on food for yourself, that's on you. But right. if it's not giving you an opportunity, that's on them. Right. And I don't know. Most most dining halls have some pretty bad food, so <laughs> can't blame the students for you know wanting a little. Cash I don't even want to tell you what my dinner was tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Of course, we both live on campus, and we both. Do you have a meal plan? I have a meal plan. Where I don't I'm, have a meal plan. Hence uh, why I've been losing so much weight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's why I am losing so much weight. Right. <laughs> but all right, man. Let's let's wrap this up. All right, so we got one last topic. Now, I uh, I happened to 
post a lot of things on Facebook on my personal page. Um, I try to spare you all from posting them all on the open page, so uh, you're welcome. But there was one that actually um, I saw, and it was on a website called, um, pardon my language, but it's called fuckhate.com. It's spelled F-C-K-H-8.com. Um, and I follow their site on Facebook. And so they post a lot, and I tend to share a lot of the things that they have because I agree with them. Um, this particular one, though, they shared it, it reminded me of a conversation that I had with them, and we can talk about this another time, where I happened to mention the privilege behind something. Um, actually, I'll, I'll give a little help about this because I think this fits perfectly with the conversation. Um, but they posted a picture of Kesha saying that she would not get married until all gay men and women could get married. And there was this huge conversation about how much of a saint she was and so on. And um, if she is what she represents herself to be, I would hesitate with the term saint. But um, I saw this, and the first thing that I thought was, you know, that's, that's her privilege, much like it's mine. And I share the same stance that, that she apparently does. But that's my privilege to say no to something because they can't say yes. The LGBT population should say um, any any group or, of, or pair of two people who want to marry that are same sex cannot. In some places, they can't say yes, but I can say no anywhere I, I am. So I happen to point this out, and whoever runs the page got pretty irritated with me um, saying that I was just making... Um, by pointing out that there's privilege, I was just taking a good thing and making it bad. And um, my point was just to recognize it, not to say that this is a horrible, horrible thing or anything along those lines. So getting back to the point, I find this picture, and I'm going to go ahead and share this picture with you now. Basically, it's a sign of a protester, and it should be, here we go. So... I'm going to go ahead and share this with you now. It's a sign of a protester, and the sign simply says, and it's up here now, but for those of you who are listening and can't see, it says, and it's a white man holding it up, or what I perceive to be a white man, it says, I can vote because I'm human, not because I'm male. I can go to school because I'm human, not because I'm white. One day, I want to get married because I'm human, not because I'm straight. And so... I saw this and I sent it to Steve and I said, ignore privilege much because all of those things are not true, at least in my personal opinion. And so we wanted to at least bring this up and talk a little bit about this. So I've spoken enough about this right now and uh, I'll come back on, on a part of this. But Steve, if you want to carry this away and, and, and start right. a little bit. Um, I, when you showed it to me, the first thought I had was almost but not quite. And, and we see this a lot with people who are interested in advocating for social justice and that they mean well, right? We'll talk about that, and we'll get into intent versus impact in a little bit. But they mean well. They, 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 their intentions are good. They have a good place in their heart. When you're talking about Kesha, it's not that what Kesha was doing was wrong, um, but it wasn't that. It was that almost but not quite. Like she's not quite getting... You know why it's you know why it's not as powerful for her to say, well, I'm I'm not going to get married when you can say no. Um, when we talk about intent versus impact, and I don't know if you were going to go over this, but I'm gonna jump the gun. Um, intent, you know, intent is that you know this is what I mean to do. This is I mean for everything to be happy and well. You know, I told that joke and it was meant to be funny, but the impact is what actually happens. What are the, what is the 
impact? How do people feel? Uh, what are the actual feelings around the room, and what's the actual impact of everything? So it's, when you tell that that joke about oh, you know, so and so and so about black guys and Jewish guys, this is that. You know, I get that you just meant it as a joke, but you know, I, I may be actually offended, or somebody in the room's actually offended, and so there's that impact piece. Um, with this one, it's that you know, um, the, you know, he was talking about oh, I want to get you know, I, I can vote not because I'm a man, because I'm human. Um, you know, his, his intent is to say, you know, I'm standing in solidarity with you all, that I want to show my support, and that I, I want you all to know that, that I'm here for you. Um, you know, members of the, you know, specifically uh, looking at gay and lesbian couples. Um, but what it comes across as, the impact is, you know, that he's ignoring the history behind what's going on. So when he talks about specifically voting, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I think the... The exact phrasing was, I get to vote because I'm human, or like, it, it, you know, with that, when you, when it's stated like that as in, you know, he's ignoring his own privilege at that point. He's refusing to acknowledge it. You know, he's not realizing that men have always been allowed to vote, uh, and didn't realize that it wasn't until 1920, they got the date right, 1920, uh, 1920 that women were allowed to vote, and that we're talking you know, it, it's not even been a hundred years that women have been allowed to vote, but men have been allowed to vote all throughout all throughout American history. And so he's completely ignoring that piece and sort of the struggle that women had to get through in order to gain the right to vote. So it's one of those things like almost we get that you mean to be well, and, and you know we love that you're being supportive, but at the same time, um, you need to you need to take into account the history. And by ignoring the entire historical piece, you're ignoring privilege. Um, so he talked about voting. What was the other thing he talked about? It was he said, "I can go to school because I'm human, not because I'm white." Right. And with that, it's like you're ignoring almost the entire civil civil rights movement there. And that, you know, what was that in the, the you know in the fifties and the sixties when you know black people were being you know were getting beat up and having stuff thrown at them, and there's this whole movement to go. To, he's ignoring that entire process just to say, oh. With, it's all good now. We're all, you know, we're all humans, and we should act like such. And it's, you're ignoring that whole history, and you're ignoring everything that makes that struggle real uh, for every, not only for everybody that went through it, but for all of us who are descendants of of that struggle. So that, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I get where he's coming from, and I get that he means well, but he he's missing it, and because of that, that piece isn't allowing to connect the dots, and that's where. Um, some of the, that intent versus impact piece comes in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, looking at it, and in, in his exact phrasing is always, I can do this because I'm human, not because of my privileged identity. Um, it, it, it's almost as though he's dancing around it but refuses to acknowledge it. Um, you know, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. Um, you know, you're right. He doesn't vote because he's male because voting was a male right from from the get-go, it was created for males. The whole voting process in America's, or I should say the United States of America's democratic process was created for men, by men. Um, so, yeah, dead on there. And then going to school, and I, I talked to my brother about this a little bit today because I was just so befuddled by this um, that a, a site that advocates for, for equal rights would overlook something like this. Um, but, you know, it talks about I can go to school because I'm human, not because I'm white. Well, maybe public school, maybe public K through 12. Um, but when it comes to college, 
um, you know, there's still a, a disproportionate number of white to people of color, um, you know, and yeah, maybe now everybody has somewhat of an opportunity, but if you look at films like Waiting for Superman, where inner city kids have to win a lottery, basically, to even put on the track to go to college, um, being in a white state, being white, I never even knew that existed because I had every opportunity to go. Um, and that wasn't about socioeconomic class because I come from a pretty poor state. Um, so looking at it, uh, it just ignores the history and looks at the result. And, and so you, you kind of said that too. And then looking at it, one day I want to get married because I'm human, not because I'm straight. I get, again, what he's trying to say is, you know, um, we'll all get married someday or we'll all be able to get married someday. Um, but he doesn't want it to be simply because of his identity of being straight. He wants everybody to, and I get that, but at the same time, the struggle that we're watching right now of same-sex couples trying to get married, some can, some can't, um, you know, he's bypassing that. And, and the intent is great, but the impact is, hmm. Right. And I mean, I think you see that with a lot of a lot of blogs on social justice. And I, I would even I would even go as far as to throw ours in there, where there's yep. at, at at times, you know, we do our best, but at times we definitely miss some points. You know what I mean? Um, and so you know, it, it happens. I used to follow a blog. What was it? Urban activists or urban educators or what, what, urban oh, urban intellectuals? And I used to follow a blog, and that blog was focused on. Um, you know, issues facing the issues the African American community are facing. But then looking at it, they were great about talking about those issues, but then when recognizing the communities within communities, specifically looking at the LGBTQIA community, um, when it came to those issues, they, they completely had no ideas and, in fact, in some ways were offensive. Um, and so it's one of those things where it comes back to that, you know, almost but not quite. And even in the case of blogs, it gets dangerous because then you, you get in that that uh, realm of doing more harm than good. So, Yeah, absolutely. Blogs, podcasts, everything we're doing, um, you know, it, it, there's a perspective there. And, and as, as we've discussed when we were in grad school all the way up until today, like social justice, diversity, multiculturalism, whatever your term you're using, um, nobody's ever going to know it all. And so it's all based on perspective. And um, I still follow urban intellectuals. I don't necessarily buy much into it um, a ton because um, every blog, every media has its biases, has its um, what it's trying to do and for them if you challenge anything that they put up there they're pretty quick to shoot you down. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully we never get to that point, that's not our, our goal um, but everybody has their mission and everybody has their 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 point in this guy's mission. Um, I'm looking at his picture. I'm still looking at that picture. You know, his goal is to tell everybody he stands for equality. Um, but anybody who who talks about privilege and, and Steve, you're right. I think we do we do try our best. And I know I point out as many times as I can how many privileges I have and when I say something that might um, display my privilege. But you know, anybody who knows anything about privileges um, generally will see through this sign and and you know, hopefully they understand the intent versus impact argument because I think, the, especially the way you modeled it, it's very much along the line of um, he's doing what he can 
um, based on potentially what he knows, and he's doing everything he can to be an ad, an ally or an advocate. Right. Um, and so it's those people who do understand to uh, to help change the sign a little bit to right. say I'm here because I believe. Right. Which would have been a great sign. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, five words, boom. Um, right. But then you get back to that place where. Let's say there's somebody who who doesn't know that much, and they don't, they aren't able to, they aren't able to see the sign for, you know, sort of the things that may be problematic within the sign, and then that's what they're learning from, and so that's that's when it does more harm than good, so it, and it's one of those things where I would hope somebody, um, either on the website or whatever it is, would be able to, not and and be able to go about it in a way that's not like, oh, we're gonna check you and tell you that you're wrong, but be able to educate this man and say. Uh, this is how your sign could be better. These are some ways you can improve. These are some things to think about. Um, but if there's somebody who isn't isn't as educated, maybe doesn't have as much of knowledge base around social justice, you know, I'm one of my things is I hope, um, you know, they don't see they see that sign and they don't decide like, oh, I'm gonna take this for what it means because this man um, knows what he's talking about. When say even even that guy still has some ways to go. I mean, we all do. Um, but I hate for somebody to use that sign as you know. A place to be educated from, or you know, as as an example of what to do. Absolutely, and I think that's why when we write and we point out our privileges, um, one that we share is definitely being men. Um, we have a lot of privilege in that area, and so we we try to point that out as much as possible, and 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 try to show people like, look, we get it. We see this from our point of view, which isn't necessarily the best point of view, right. um, and we try to challenge people to at least think about what that means and what, that, <clears throat> excuse me, and what that looks like. So, um, absolutely, and like you said, we're not perfect by any means. Uh, we're just starting out in the reaching out to educate <laughs> and, and dialogue. You know, right. um, it, enjoy what we do and really that's why we have these conversations and soon hopefully we'll be able to invite some people on here and have different perspectives on here because that's how we learn and you know we'll constantly be learning and we want to share that with people right so yeah I think that's all that I have <laughs> yeah I, I think with that that's uh, that's all I have as well um, so that concludes our, our third video slash audio podcast. Woo! <laughs> it's a party. It's a party. You hear this? Um, we're having a blast from coast to coast. Um, we want to thank you all for listening, for watching, for reading. Um, I, I'd like to give a special shout out to uh, Nick Mirage, who was a recent contributor to our website, uh, to our blog, and his poem about how to be trans at work. Um, was a fantastic piece and as somebody who was a student of mine and as a friend of mine um, I was really happy to to publish that and um, really see his his passion for activism so I want to give a quick shout out to Nick because I think that it's important that we we welcome and thank our contributors so go check it out alright so thank you all and we'll see you again or actually better yet you'll see us again in two weeks until then stay open <laughs>